Well, welcome, everyone, to the Robin Walters Show on this Christmas weekend. God bless you. I hope you are having or will have or did have a Merry Christmas. And uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. I sometimes do a Christmas program per se. However, I have shifted that, and I really, really hope that you hear this week's Sunday Morning with Robin Walter, which comes out. Uh, typically is released on Saturday, the day you hear this, but some of you get this program early on Fridays if you uh, are part of our email blast list, which if you would like to get this program just directly sent to your computer as an attachment, you may. We have an email blast list. There is no cost to it. Uh, You just write me at one of two, either of the two addresses that we use, Red Sky Radio, 777 at gmail.com. It's redskyradio777 at gmail.com or robinwaltershow at gmail.com. It's not the Robin Walter Show. It's just robinwaltershow, all one word, at gmail.com. Just write me and tell me that you would like to be added to the email blast list, and it could just be sent directly to your computer. But, of course, uh, you can get it on your podcast. And lately, in the last month, we have actually had more people listening via Rumble than all of the other podcast platforms put together. So I think we all know where things are going. Things are not going in the right direction in this life. It's going in the right direction for the next life, but not in this life. And um, we're anticipating that it's going to get harder and harder as time goes on to be on Various platforms, which right now I'm kind of preparing that Rumble is the way because at this point it seems to be the most freedom-loving, First Amendment-loving or open uh, platform that there is. So here we go. Um, This is a very different kind of Christmas message that you're going to get today. Uh, I want to contrast, and I'm going to do it very graphically, this world and the next. What is it that uh, we're leaving behind or that's upon us now? Um, And what did the birth of Jesus actually open up to us as to the future? So we're going to kind of start with hell, hell on this earth, and in many respects, as we transition our way through to heaven, all because Jesus was born. And you'll hear me probably say this again, but he needed to be born so that he could die. He needed to die so that he could be raised from the dead. He needed to be raised from the dead so that we could be raised from the dead and we could go to heaven. It's a pretty simple message, isn't it? Well, we are going to start with sort of uh, a little bit of slime and grime here because I want to make a contrast. Just how nasty things are versus just how sweet they're going to be, and actually in many respects already are, but the fulfillment of it when we are with the Lord all because it started 
with this holiday, the birth of Jesus Christ. So I want to start, uh, since we're going to start in the grime, move through the slime, transition into some things that are really, really wonderful. I want to start with this staffer, the Senate staffer, homosexual guy, who um, filmed queer sex tape in the hearing room, in the Senate hearing room. So you got this guy, Aiden Maisie Cesarovsky, is a Senate staffer. He works for, um, of course, he works for a Democrat. I forgot who it was. Uh, ben Cardin, Democrat from uh, Maryland, where pretty much everybody seems to be Democrats. They don't seem to have a problem, but he's filmed in the Senate hearing room having queer sex, anal sex, um, and he films it, and then it somehow gets out, probably the guy he's having sodomy with. I don't know. But he claims that now he's the victim of uh, homophobia. So this is, I want to read you his words. And, this, and I want to tell you, the Senate, the Senate won't do anything about it. The senator won't do anything. Cardin won't do anything about it. He's just quiet. Oh, ignore those, ignore those homos having sex in the uh, hearing room of the Senate. What's wrong with that? Well, apparent, silence is consent. This is how bad it is in this country. And we, are, we have reached a point where we're just as bad as the Romans and Israel at, at, the, at the epitome of its descent into the moral abyss. But here's what the queer guy says. Quote, this has been a difficult time for me as I have been attacked for who I love to pursue a political agenda. While some of my actions in the past have shown poor judgment, I love my job and would never disrespect my workplace. Any attempts to characterize my actions otherwise are fabricated, and I will be exploring what legal options are available to me in these matters. Now, the picture of this queer guy, he's wearing uh, Rehoboth. There's two ways to pronounce it. It happens to be a sweatshirt of the beach where Joe Biden has his summer getaway. I don't know if there's any connection or not. Who knows? So this is a guy who films queer sex in the Senate hearing room. Somehow it leaks out. Well, who's, who's he sending it to? And then complains that this is a political hack job from people pursuing a political agenda, attacked for who I love? Oh, come on. Goodness sakes. And any attempt to characterize my actions otherwise are fabricated. What do you mean fabricated? Now, I, I, first of all, this is a public place. It's not open to the entire public, but the public consisting of the Senate and all the staff and all the people who have a right to be there. And this guy's doing filming a sodomistic sex act in the in the hearing room of the Senate. That's not the end of it. He's also doing this on work time. Meaning that you and I are paying for this queer sex job in the Senate hearing room. And he contends that it's homophobia. 
because he has no restraint. He can't even wait till he gets to some dark alley or some sordid bedroom somewhere and perform these acts which our God calls an abomination? Oh, my gosh. Now, this comes out the very same day that the Church of England blesses queer marriage. Now, that's what they said. You can't bless queer marriage. There is no blessing. Everything that's said about queer relationships in the Bible is condemnation. I want to bless this this act of murder. I want to bless this robbery. I want to bless this stabbing. No, 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 no. The Church of England is lost. It's roasted. It's toasted. It's just, it is part of a world that is seems to be, some of the churches, so-called, seem to be fighting for pole position in the race to hell. And the speed with which the descent of the Western countries and the United States leading the descent into the moral abyss, we know that judgment is upon us. I think Joe Biden is judgment. And uh, it's going to get worse. I mean, I unless there was, we, there was no great age of repentance during Trump's administration. It's not his fault necessarily. I'm just saying that you know, people put their hopes in man as opposed to God. There was no repentance. And, uh, I mean, 9-11, it was, God bless America, God bless America after 9-11. Well, you know what? America did not start to bless God. So why should God bless an America that doesn't bless him? And we had the fastest decade of, of moral descent in the history of the United States with the ushering in of B.O. himself, Barack Hussein Obama. Now, the reason I bring this up here, uh, and I'm going to throw in one more, and I'm going to move off from this topic, is that Fairfax County School Board member, this is in Virginia, got sworn in. But what he, what he put his hand on in getting sworn in for the school board was a stack of queer LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ porn books. That's right. A stack of porn, everything that is abominable, this guy was swearing to. This is what he was, this is what he promised to uphold. And he's not called out. Nobody has the guts to call queerdom sin. And why not? Why don't people call it that? I mean, the last time I did it in any kind of a public venue, the party wouldn't, uh, wouldn't show my, uh, my message on YouTube. Afraid gutless or something, I don't know. But what this reminds me of in our uh, slide, Bill Bennett, a number of years ago, wrote a book called Slouching Towards Gomorrah, meaning that we were leaning towards this moral decadence. Well, we're not leaning towards it. It's a full-fisted, no pun intended, I'm sorry, but a full-fisted approach towards resurrecting Sodom and Gomorrah and here doing it at government time and a government place and a government paycheck paid for you and by for by you and me. But it also reminded me of something else. I am reading it was a gift to me. I'm reading the book Bonhoeffer. And if you know about it, if you've read it, it's a great book. It's huge. It's just short of 600 pages and I'm about three weeks into it and I'm 
just barely halfway. But I have other things to do, and I kind of want to absorb it, but I'm struck by how pre-World War II Germany seems to be almost a prophetic uh, rehearsal for what's happening in the United States. And while there was moral sleaze that clearly was rampant inside Nazis' Third Reich, Hitler's Third Reich, it wasn't advocated like it is today, pushed, promoted, subsidized, paid for by tax dollars. We export sin. It's our biggest export these days. We export more sin than we than we do wheat. Well, we don't export any oil anymore. But anyway, this slide in Germany happened over a period of time, but it was not discernible until about the early 30s, about 1932 or 33. And then the speed with which it picked up shocked a lot of people. Does that sound familiar? We've been on a we've been a slide down ever since they threw out prayer reading, prayers and Bible reading out of school in the early 60s. And it moved on to abortion in 73 and then you get into queer marriage and it's been it's been downhill, but it has accelerated at an alarming rate. It's like the snowball going down the hill, it picks up speed. But when it reaches a point where the descent is so steep, it loses contact with the ground. And then it's a free fall. And then the next thing is one great big crash, bang, boom at the bottom. And now all you got are the parts. Well, I'm reading this Bonhoeffer book, I'm just, I'm stunned at how complacent and how compromising the churches of Germany were to Hitler. And Hitler in his more benign stage, meaning before he had complete control, but then uh, even further into the Third Reich, um, it was amazing. The churches just wanted to go along so they could get along. They compromised over moral things. And, and in that particular case, it was primarily about excluding Jews in all sorts of ways. It didn't matter if, if you were a Messianic Jew. You'd be, a, you'd be a Christian that was of Jewish ethnicity, a Messianic Jew, and you were targeted. So they didn't have these other things that were rampant, but they had that that was rampant. And the churches were compliant. They were became complicit. The Church of Germany, called the Reichs, Reich, I can't think of what it was in German. But anyway, probably not pronounced it correctly if I, if I could remember. But they just became an arm of the Nazi propaganda machine. And I look at all the churches in this country. There's some good churches. But all the ones that just threw in the towel and played along with you can't have church, you can't sing hymns, that was Gavin Newsom. Can't sing. Yeah, you go to church, but you can't sing because you breathe harder and somebody might catch uh, COVID. The whole pandemic crapola from masks to vaccines, loosely so-called, all the people that have died, all the people that have immunotherapy, uh, 
I'm trying to think of the rest of the word. Uh, Problems. Immunity problems. Let's just say, call it that way. Immunity problems. All the women that had stillbirths that got the shot while they were pregnant or got pregnant shortly after. The number of miscarriages off the chart. The number of young men, kind of from 10 to about 35, that have myocarditis. People dropping like flies. And the church just went along with it. For the most part, there were a few notable churches that resisted. And God blessed them. God did bless them and will bless them. And there were a few in Germany. But as a whole, it's just like, oh, no, let's just go along. And it was, I'm reading this. It's hard to read this book, Bonhoeffer, and not see this as somewhat of a um, critique a prescient, if you will, sense of what's coming in the future. But it wasn't just the future of Germany. I read it as what's coming or is here in the United States. So this this is where we are. And I guess we have people, I mean, this uh, piece here, uh, grill, grill, and I mean grill, your Latino Democrats. Now, there's a huge rise in uh, Latinos and blacks supporting Republicans, but they are concerned about these concessions that Joe Biden made to get some uh, aid to the Ukraine. Everybody talks about Joe Biden's success in getting his Ukraine aid in. Here's what Joe Biden got. He asked for $61 billion, but the press is ballyhooing him and lauding him because he got it. And what did he get? $100 million. Not $61 billion, and I'm not making light of $100 million, but it is a drop in the bucket compared to $61 billion, and they get it over three years in Ukraine. In other words, it was a big bust. bust. But Zelensky came over, met with contractors and everything, but, man, he got it shoved down his stovepipe by Congress. I'm glad he did. We, we need to exit that. But here's where the problem comes in. In order to get this $100 million in so Biden could have some bragging rights, he's had to make some concessions on border security, meaning he actually plans to have some border security. And who? There's every single Hispanic Democrat, and I'll focus on that from what I can tell, is upset with Biden because he's going to make it harder to sneak into the United States, in theory. He won't, but in theory, that's what he had to do. Okay, so one other story I want to mention here, and then we're going to get on to some better things. We're going to kind of bottom out here. One of the things the older I get that I really hate is death. Really, do. I am tired of people dying. I mean, I know when you're younger, you, gosh, you're immortal. I was watching the NFR, National Finals Rodeo, and looking at these bull riders. I think you guys are nuts, especially you guys that aren't even wearing a helmet or a face guard. And, well, why? Well, 22, 23, 24 years old, there's kind of a sense of immortality. You think you've lived a long time when you're 23. And then you run into people that are 80. Well, guess what? The 
seven years in between, since it's more than twice your existing age, seems like death is an eternity away. And then you age and you get down to the, you cross over the midpoint and you get to the last third of your life. If you live an actuarial life, you start seeing people pass away. You start see, seeing people pass away when they're young. I mean, I couldn't believe my sister died when she was in her 50s. And and now you've got all the people that are dead from the vaccines up prematurely. People just, you know, falling over. I mean, that's kind of planing out, but the... The carnage has been huge. And I don't care whether it's COVID, whether it's the vaccines, whether it's the drugs that are killing people, all the fentanyl deaths going right on down the whether abortion. I'm just tired of death. What did Satan come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. Everything that seems to surround death other than God merciful, I mean, we're going to pass away. question is, where do we go? Well, I know where I'm going. But I wanted to just focus on something here because we've never had, for example, uh, mass shootings like we have had in the last, what, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. It isn't the gun. Do you know the AR-15 has been around since the 60s? We didn't have mass shootings then, did we? And I want to read from this one piece. It's just going to give you a bit of a highlight here. And this is not a pro-Second Amendment um, topic. I want to cover the issue of death, the deaths that come from, the, the, from shooters, but what is the motivation and what are the causal things that Satan has been very successful in introducing into this life to cause mass casualties, from abortion to all the suicides. I mean, the number of suicides for kids who have uh, gone through sex change operations, the, from the fentanyl, the drugs. I mean, it's we, we've not been here before, and I've lived long enough to see this change that is hard to it's hard to take in. But this piece here, um, and I got to give due credit here. Uh, to Joseph Mercola from the Epoch Times. Joseph, thank you. I'm going to quote from some portions of your piece here. He says that while many have bought into the simplistic idea that the availability of firearms is a cause of mass shootings, a number of experts have pointed out a more uncomfortable truth, which is that mass shootings are far more likely the result of how we've been mistreating depression and mental illness and behavioral problems. I just got to stop there. Has there always been some degree of mental illness? Yeah. Depression? Yeah. Behavioral problems? Yeah. But you don't have to go back that many years to find that the people who suffered from those things weren't killing other people. So there's something else is going on here. <clears throat> he said, gun control legislation has shown that law-abiding Americans who own guns are not the problem because the more gun control laws we have that have been passed, the more mass shootings have occurred. I just thought that that's absolutely true. The more gun control laws that are passed, the more mass shootings we have. Because why? The gun isn't the problem. Guns have a good use. They can have an improper use. Every tool can be used the right way or the wrong way. Listen to this statistic. 
just under 97.8% of mass shootings occur in gun-free zones. As the perpetrators, no legally armed citizens won't be there to stop them. Depression as such as rarely results in violence, but only, and this is key, only after antidepressants have become commonplace did mass shootings really take off. And many mass shooters have now been proven to be on antidepressants. Antidepressants, especially selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, are well known for their ability to cause suicidal and homicidal ideation and violence. It says, gun control legislation has shown that law-abiding Americans who own guns are not the problem. For consider the following, the more gun control laws that are passed, the more mass murders that have occurred, and so whether or not there is a correlation or cause. Causation is debatable, but what is not debatable is that this sick phenomenon of mass murder is targeting gun-free zones where they know civilians will not be armed. But let me go on to this next piece here. It says, Jeff Snyder, writing the Washington Times, says, but to ban guns because criminals use them is to tell the innocent and law-abiding that their rights and liberties do not depend on their own conduct, but on the conduct of the guilty and the lawless, and that the law will permit them to have only such rights and liberties as the lawless will allow. After Only after antidepressants became commonplace, have mass shootings skyrocketed. I mean, isn't that amazing? And who, I mean, you've got, here's a, they cited an example here. Joseph Wesbecker shot 20 people, killed nine of them. Uh, he had been on Prozac for one month. And then uh, the people that got killed, or, their, or I mean, the families sued Eli Lilly, the maker of it. And in the two decades between 19, 1988 and 2008, antidepressant use in the U.S. in 20 years rose by 400%. And by 2010, 11% of the U.S. population over the age of 12 were on antidepressants. And that number is higher. The most prosperous country in the world where few have it any better anywhere else in the world, we have the highest number of people taking drugs to deal with depression. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm going to have to speed this up. But I want to read through a warning that's on these antidepressants. And it says here that anxiety may cause anxiety, agitation, panic attacks. This is what the antidepressants meant to deal with a problem of, oh, I feel down, blah, 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 blah. Here are the side effects. Potentially, anxiety, agitation, panic attacks, insomnia, irritability, hostility, aggressive hostility, impulsivity, um, mania have been reported in adult and pediatric patients being treated with antidepressants for major depressive disorder as well as for other indications being both psychiatric and non-psychiatric. And they go on to state that, of course, in this whole thing, uh, it says it, it could cause suicidal or homicidal tendencies. It's sort of like you take some pain medication. Uh, you know, I don't know, something for your cough, and then goes on to say 
may cause drowsiness, may cause excitability. Well, decide which one it is. We are in a country where we have mass production of antidepressants and distribution of these antidepressants, which are now combined with watching violent video games and all these other things. And the fact of the matter is there is an exact correlation between what the enemy has sown into this country by way of these antidepressants and the number of killings that we have. And I'm not, I'm just talking about mass killings. The other things that occur because people are on the antidepressants. Oh my goodness sakes. You see, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And everything we've talked about here in this first half of the program, and I'm done with this part of the bad part, on the other side of the break in a minute, we're going to get to the good stuff. We're going to transition out. But everything comes down to bondage and death and destruction, destroying the moral fiber, the, the, the physical body, the emotional state, the mind, the spirit. Satan hates life because he knows he's going to end up one day in the lake of fire. And his gig is up. And he's interested in taking just as many people with him as he can. But Jesus' birth is the beginning of the end of his game. We'll be right back. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Well, God bless you. We are back. This is Robin Walter with the Robin Walter Show. And we're on. We're going to take the bright side now. This is the Now you see the abyss that we're in. But the birth of Jesus Christ, for which we celebrate on Christmas, is the beginning of the end of Satan's gig. We know that, right? Because Herod, animated by Satan, went out and slaughtered all the baby boys two years old and younger. And Bethlehem trying to kill the Christ child, right? How about, uh, you know, Pharaoh wanted to kill the uh, all the baby boys born in Egypt. And the left today just wants to kill everybody in the womb. 
or coming out of the womb or after they're in the womb with drugs. These antidepressants kill them morally, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. But the birth of Jesus, we see, is a is a turn in the tide. It's been advocated, obviously, I mean prophesied for many years in the Old Testament. And I can see, I'm going to cover just one secular story before we move into the Scriptures themselves. And it has to deal with why the left has ignored black students for a long time. Why do cities that are overwhelmingly black continue to still stink academically, notwithstanding they get more money than a lot of the schools do that are essentially or primarily white? And why are they so underperforming? So you can draw some wrong conclusions here, except that the left's answer has always been to throw them more money and we'll keep them on the plantation by throwing them money to the schools and de- and creating a class of people that's dependent upon Democrats. Now, the reason I picked this story is because there is a change happening. Glory, hallelujah. And it deals with the incredible, skyrocketing academic success of black students but only in one place, one general place. In conservative states, the red states that are much more, much closer to a biblical basis and, and the purpose for education. I go all the way back to when Massachusetts was a decent state, which goes back hundreds of years now. When was passed the old Satan Deluder Act? This was an act designed to make sure that kids could read and write. And why was there this emphasis on reading and writing? And what was the textbook? Well, besides ultimately getting into a phonics thing at the early grades, which was necessary, not this look-see method, but a phonics method, which I've got a grandchildren that are at schools that teach phonics, and they're doing marvelously. But it was, an, it was an attempt or desire to make sure that the old deluder, Satan, could not delude them once they were able to read proficiently, communicate proficiently, and understand the Word of God. Folks, this is the kind of basis or background or foundation our country was built on. And, of course, Scripture says if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's where we are now. But these are, there are a couple of states that are turning things around. That is just that black students are beginning to thrive in the red states while the blue states are still too busy talking about sex this, sex that, crap, crapola, tranny this woke stuff, ESG, trying to tell everybody that even though they suck academically, they should feel great about themselves. And by the way, uh, guess what? When you get out of high school, even though you can't read or write, be sure and vote Democrat because we'll make sure that you're taken care of. This is why I've said, and a number of blacks agree, I've said this for a long time, but others have too, along like 
Thomas Sowell and other uh, uh, black writers that the left is, is, is and has always run a nationwide plantation. There is no desire to truly have blacks be liberated because if they walked off the plantation, then the keepers of the black, the white leftist elitists, would not have anybody or would have fewer people to help keep them in office. So let me just give you a couple examples here. Mississippi and Texas. Okay, I'll start with Mississippi. Now understand that Mississippi, they always say, uh, you just need more money, more money, more money. Well, why why give them more money when they're just going to teach crap? No, cut them off. Let the schools fail really miserably. Let the teachers leave that, that follow this garbage and bring in decent teachers. And so what they did in Mississippi was they made a decision to teach students using a phonics-based reading method, which is a contrast, direct contrast to what's done in the blue states. They hate phonics because they don't want you to read. They don't want you to be really, truly literate. And the plan required third graders, third graders to pass a reading exit exam. You don't pass this, you don't get to move up to fourth grade. Yeah, it's kind of like Jethro on the Beverly Hillbillies. He said his most his three his three best years in school were the three years he spent in fifth grade. It's it's like that, and uh, and their scores have rocketed. I mean, they were they they are forty sixth in the country in public school funding. And yet their scores have shot up through the roof. They went from, uh, including honors, math, and things, they went from a 17% uh, grade level uh, proficiency in four years up to 43% in Mississippi. They are, they're doing things uh, in Texas as the other state. They say, you know, we have these honors programs, and you could always opt in. But now, so we, you need to opt out. No, you need to opt out. You you have to prove that you want to get out of these demanding programs. Within two years of the uh, Dallas school system implementing this, ninety four percent of eligible students are now taking honors based classes. And the question that was raised here by the author of the piece is said, quote, will liberals learn the lesson of Mississippi and Dallas? The answer seems to be no. Because, for instance, Evanston Township High School, located in the very deep blue state of Illinois, has even brought back segregation in math classes, a bizarre attempt supposedly to help black students improve performance. Well, how, do they how does segregation improve performance? If it did, why did we have the case Brown versus Board of Education? That separate and equal is not is is not equal. Separate is not equal. It is it's discrimination. Yet they now think that this is the answer. Well, so let's get all these black kids, of which we will not ask or demand much of them, and they certainly won't have to be compared to the white students in the class. So we'll just have dumb and dumber, and they're getting exactly what they want—a dependent class. You had Oregon, 
which what what they do last year? They ditched, was it reading and math tests? I think were the two. I could be wrong, but they were two critical classes or tests. They ditched those in order to be able to get a high school diploma. And so you see, it's not by accident that the godly, the more godly states continue to search for ways by which to help and elevate their fellow man. And it's working. I mean, goodness sakes, you end up with a really literate, wholesale literate um, black contingent in this country. Well, because, and is it is it interesting? I think it is that as these scores go up and the literacy goes up, so does the number of blacks that are voting Republican. Same with Latinos. Now you know why the leftist white elitists are really ticked off if anybody starts messing around with their plantation. And so I, I wanted to show this as a transition of what godly people in godly states can do, notwithstanding the mess that we're in. And is there a way out? Well, I don't know. You know, God knows the end. We just have to be faithful in what we do because because our end is rooted and grounded in our faith in Jesus Christ, which would have been and is totally meaningless if we didn't have a birth, right? He's got, to, he's got to be born to die. He's got to die to be resurrected. He's got to be resurrected in order for us to be resurrected. Otherwise, we're toast. You know, it's interesting that when the angels came down at Jesus' the time of his birth, it was announced, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And people think that it's, it's a time of goodwill. But the goodwill, I've got to make this clear and say it correctly, the goodwill in Jesus' coming and his birth was toward man. It wasn't among men yet. It was just toward men. Goodwill because now introduced into the chronology of all all of were all of the world. The eternal chronology, this is when he came to be born and to start the path for the redemption of man from and those many who were probably caught up in the sins I was describing. But if not, to ultimately be raised from the dead to depart this world. And we could never have been there without Jesus' birth. And so the goodwill toward men is God bringing Jesus to look, this is your salvation. Jesus, you will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. He has come to earth. The die is cast. The plot is established. It will not be thwarted. The plan is irrevo- irrevocable, irreversible. It is most certain. And the beauty of the goodwill towards men There is no goodwill among men until people actually accept Jesus Christ as Lord. So we have to have this goodwill toward men received by mankind before there can ever be goodwill 
among men. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I love the movie. It's a Wonderful Life. I've seen it probably, what, 15 times. And it it's like the, the best that essentially a secular Christmas could have. But it's a secular Christmas at least has trappings of the real thing. Christ Mass, right? And so when people get all bent out of shape because there's a tree, they get triggered because a tree reminds them of Christmas. Christmas reminds them of Jesus Christ. And they're Christophobics. And they're Bibliophobics. So I, I like the movie. But we... And there are those times in this life, they seem to be brief, but there are those times in life where you kind of take a deep breath and you sigh because things seem to be, um, gosh, I think they're all okay right now, or at least for a period of time. But I want to point out two passages of Scripture here. Uh, but you know what? Before I do, I need to also point out that when Jesus, the prophecy came, and then Jesus stated it himself, he said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I actually came to set father against son, mother against daughter, father against son-in-law and that passage. And why? Does he want disharmony? Does he want those Christmas dinners to break out in family fights, which is why so many people don't like Christmas, because it's a time of family tension? No, he would love for the family to be together, but it needs to be around an altar of truth and godliness. And see, since Christmas brings out a bit more of the spiritual clash among family members, some who believe and some who don't, no wonder in some families it's a hated holiday. No wonder in some families it's when people get shot and killed and strangled and beaten. It all happens and it's because there is that tension that there is not peace between men unless it's between men and women, of course, who share Jesus Christ as a common denominator because they have the same Holy Spirit inside their hearts. And so they're brother and sister in the spirit, whether they even are in the natural. But it says in Isaiah, you can take down a couple of these verses if you want. Isaiah chapter 14 uh, it says in verse 3, it says, And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve, that thou shalt take up this proverb. And then it goes on to talk about Babylon. But it says, And the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted, and there's none that will can stop it now. For he goes on to say that with the end of Nebuchadnezzar, for that brief period of time, verse 7, it says that the whole earth is at rest and is quiet. And they break forth into singing. And this is prophetic, not just about the end of with the Jews returning to Judah. It's one of those pro, um, prophetic passages that apply to uh, a certain event to occur in the near future to also the event at the end of the ages. That the whole earth would be at rest and is quiet. The earth is breaking into singing. It goes on in that passage, you even talk about the trees rejoicing. 
and the cedars, the cedar trees, saying that, um, hey, there isn't even anybody out there that wants to cut us down. We get to live. The trees are, enjoy, are enjoying it. And then in a passage in Zechariah, Zechariah 1, verse 11. I love this passage. I mean, maybe it's because we've had horses. I don't have one now. My wife does. She's a, she's the horse person in the family. But starting in verse 9, it said, um, or starting verse 8, And I saw by night, behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. And behind him were their red horses, speckled and white. Then I said, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent, talking about the horses, to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, the tree, These are the horses talking. We have walked to and fro through the earth. And behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Isn't that beautiful? All the earth is resting quietly. We have those moments, those moments that kind of tell us what it's going to be like in the future, but then those moments are, are broken, not too far, minutes, hours, days down the road by a breakout of war or crime or some, something getting ravaged, what have you. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little tickling, if you will, kind of a telling you, this is, this is going to be like this. You've experienced a little, a little tidbit of the whole earth resting quietly for a while. But it's, a, it's an indication of what lies ahead. And the fact is, these moments are necessary. We need them periodically to help just establish our foundation to stand against the onslaught of all those who hate the birth of Jesus and for all it stands for. I'm, I mean, whether it was Herod, the temptation in the wilderness, uh, the uh, Jesus arrest, his torture and crucifixion, the whole world has hated what he stood for. And they hate us too. But he gives us in this life these little these moments, these joyous times, which which can't be sustained in the natural. There's a spiritual joy inside of us that can be sustained, and we can thank God not for what's happening, but even in the course of what's happening, we can give God thanks. And these moments are just little respites along the way. And the fact is, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul in Romans 8.18 said that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And it seems far too seldom that we're reminded of the fact that there really is a heaven and a hell, which, of course, Jesus releases us and provides us the ransom that was necessary to be paid to escape hell and to go to heaven. But before anyone concludes that enduring a tribulation could be too much for us, it's inspiring and comforting to refresh ourselves on just why we fight the battle that we fight, what Jesus came for so that he could then be 
crucified, then be raised from the dead so that he could raise us from the dead. Why? Why are we in the fight and we don't give up? Because we know what lies ahead. All because he came to visit earth. Revelation 24 says that God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. and There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things have passed away. So I want you to think about that for a moment. No more death. I'm just getting to hate death. Not necessarily my own. I just hate seeing people die around me. Wouldn't it be nice to never have to go to another funeral? Including your own? Wouldn't it be nice to never have to say goodbye to anyone? Well, the fact of the matter is God will prepare us. But the longer I live, the more it seems that he prepares us for a new life by sort of wanting to get away from the old life. We want more life, but we don't really want more of this life because we just don't have enough of those moments where the whole earth is resting quietly, do we? doesn't seem like it. But imagine if we want, we don't want more of this life. And consider, I mean, uh, our future, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more bad news, no more headaches, no more bankruptcies, no children in jail, no people in hospitals, no divorces, no more cancer, psoriasis, fibromyalgia, stroke, heart disease, blindness, deafness, back pain, diabetes, migraines, or rotator cuff injuries. Be no more abortion, child molestation, drugs, no more pornography, no more robberies, murders, no more lawsuits. And I say hallelujah to that as a lawyer. Just think of all the things that cause sorrow, anguish, pain, and anger, and then eliminate them. And what are the former things that have passed away? Fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, envy, jealousy, pride, arrogance, lust, hatred, covetousness. All of that is gone. And why is it gone? Because we get to go to a place where that stuff doesn't exist and all the problems that I just announced. And not only will the earth be resting quietly, at any time it's not resting quietly, we're engaged in praise and worship. I don't know if we're sleeping in heaven. I haven't gotten down to if there's any. I don't know if we need rest. But the point is, what lies before us only exists because of what came behind us. Or not behind us, before us before us in the future, but what happened in the past. Jesus' introduction into the earth, his life, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and our resurrection is really the consummate good news, none of which could have happened had he not been born a couple thousand years ago. In Bethlehem. Nothing. We would be lost as balls and high weeds without the birth of Jesus. Take this message with you and don't forget Sunday morning with Robin Walter, a program this weekend 
which will be sort of the backside of this message. God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas. Sit tall in the saddle. Remember, you ride for the brand.